one of the things I said was, and you know, I don't really need to make a living from this book. So it shouldn't be something that stresses me out and overwhelms me because my husband luckily is earning the money that our family requires. And she said, well, what if your husband weren't earning that money? What if you had to make money? How would you approach this entire process differently? And that was a light bulb moment for me. You're listening to Financial Grown Up with me, certified financial planner, Bobby Rebel, author of How to Be a Financial Grown Up. And you know what? Being a grown up is really hard, especially when it comes to money. But it's okay. We're going to get there together. I'm going to bring you one money story from a financial grown up, one lesson, and then my take on how you can make it your own. We got this. Hey, grown-up friends. So that was my college friend and now novelist, Susie Ormond-Schnall. Her new book, The Subway Girls, was named one of five inspiring career girl stories to enjoy on your commute by BuzzFeed. In Style called Subway Girls one of 11 books to bury your nose in the summer. And Pop Sugar called it one of the summer's hottest new books. Not bad, Susie. All right. In her interview, Susie gets very candid about the fact that she wasn't really trying that hard with her career as a novelist. She wasn't the breadwinner, so why stress? Well, You will hear why, especially if you dream of turning in your resignation to your boring office job the minute you have kids or other financial resources and you don't have to go in and work for the money. You need to go in with your eyes open. Here is Susie Orman-Schnall. Susie Orman-Schnall, you're a financial grown-up. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And congratulations on your latest book, huge bestseller already, The Subway Girls, getting rave reviews. Wait, I have to read some of these. You were named one of the most anticipated novels of summer by, a. Lo- this is a very long list. I'm just going to read some of them. Refinery29, Pure Wow, Working Mother, Pop Sugar, Parade, and we could go on. I'm so proud of you. I have to tell everyone, we know each other a long time. We were actually college classmates. And for one semester, we were even roommates. So we've come a long way together. And I'm I'm really excited for you. Thank you. Likewise, it's wonderful that we can do this now as adults um, professionally. So it's a great honor to be on your show. And we also reconnected when we both decided to get into the book writing business a few years ago. You started when you had a lot on your plate already at home. You had three growing boys, a husband to take care of, a very busy life in the suburbs. And you decided to write books and you were successful. You had a couple of good, very good books come out, but your motive wasn't necessarily to earn money. It was really about being fulfilled. And then one day, one of your friends said something to you that really changed your mindset and resulted in this book, which all your books are good, but this book really is a huge commercial success and is taking your career to a new level. Tell us about what that friend said and what happened. What happened with my first is I wasn't able to secure a literary agent. And so I ended up self-publishing it. And then it got picked up by a small publisher. And that was really a wonderful experience for me. And I really loved being with that publishing house. And so for my second novel, which is called The Balance Project, I didn't even try to get an agent and go the traditional publishing route. I stayed with my publisher because I was comfortable there. They treated me really well. It was just a kind and gentle way to publish a book. And then I was talking to a friend who also happens to be a life coach, and she said something that changed my entire framework. 
And one of the things I said was, and you know, I don't really need to make a living from this book. So it shouldn't be something that stresses me out and overwhelms me because my husband luckily is earning the money that our family requires. And she said, well, what if your husband weren't earning that money? What if you had to make money? How would you approach this entire process differently? And that was a light bulb moment for me. And it kind of gave me more of a sense of urgency. So how did you then implement changes? What happened that was different? So I ended up writing the book, but instead of just opting to go with the publisher who I had been with, who I still absolutely love, I went and queried the book and tried to get an agent and I was successful. And that was really one of the most wonderful professional experiences that I'd had because I knew that it was going to set me up to take me to a different level with this book. And then she put it on submission and I got an offer from St. Martin's Press for a two book deal. And right away, I felt like a completely different person. It, It gave me a validation as an author that I didn't have before. So I'm just so grateful that she made me think, well, what if, you know, stop staying in your comfort zone, go outside of that and try something hard and something uncomfortable, be comfortable being uncomfortable because that's how you get where you want to go. And it also brought you more financial rewards. Absolutely. What is the lesson for our listeners? I think of my success in the fact that I wrote these books and they were published and they get great response from readers. To me, that is success. That makes me feel fulfilled and I feel like I've already won. The sales of the book are kind of the icing on the cake. Um, And that is because I don't have to earn a living as an author, but I don't really want to act like I don't have to earn a living as an author, because as we all know, everything can change. And I was fortunate enough, and I'll use that word fortunate, and then I'll qualify it in a minute, that when I started having children, I was able to quit my full-time job I was working for an internet company and earning a nice living that made me feel like I had value. And I stopped working so that I could be a full-time stay-at-home mom. Unfortunately, that didn't make me feel valuable. And what I realized is that earning a paycheck is something that's important to me. And I don't judge other people's choices. Stay-at-home mom, full-time working mom, whatever people want to do is great. But I do know that for myself, earning money makes me feel valued. And feeling valued is really important. It's very hard as a full-time stay-at-home mother. You don't get a lot of recognition and validation for your work. And I do call it work. And so I started freelancing very soon after I had my first son and that led into writing the novel. But the lesson for me is that if it makes me feel a certain way, then I absolutely need to do whatever it is to make that happen for myself. All right, let's talk about your everyday money tip, because this is something that I think a lot of our listeners who love to read books will really find a lot of value in. Yeah, so I love to read books, and I find myself buying more books than I can read. And luckily now authors give me their books, and I go to the library. I'm constantly inundated by books. But one wonderful resource is called BookBub, and that's B-O-O-K-B-U-B, as in book you book. And it's a website. And if you go on there and you sign up with your email address and you put down what genre books you like, then every day you get an email with daily deals of books that are 99 cents or $1.99 or even free. And it's a great way to load up your Kindle with books and not spend a lot of money. I love that. 
I want to talk about Subway Girls a little bit more and about the economic message of this book because people looked at this campaign and it almost looked like a beauty pageant, but in fact, it was actually a way at the time, as I see it, an opportunity for many of these women to have economic opportunity that they might not have otherwise had. Exactly. So my novel, The Subway Girls, is historical fiction, and it's based on the fascinating Miss Subway's contest, which was essentially a beauty contest that took place in the New York City subway system from 1941 to 1976. So my novel is dual storyline, and the 1949 story features two young females who are competing for the Miss Subway's title. And then in 2018, you have a female advertising executive who's pitching the MTA, comes across the Miss Subway's campaign in her research, the two storylines intersect and that's where the fun begins. But the initial, the motivation for both of the women is to find professional success. They both are incredibly ambitious. My main character in in 1949, along with my main character in 2018, and they both have different motivations and reasons why professional success is so important to them. And for both of them, it ends up that this Miss Subways contest, even though my 2018 character doesn't actually compete for Miss Subways, but it's this contest that allows them to fulfill their ambitions. It represents economic dreams because that is a way out, especially for the character in the 1940s. That is a way to basically not, quote, just be a housewife, which is what she was fighting against. At the time, there were very limited opportunities for women. She would have basically just worked for her father, and she did have someone that wanted to marry her, and she put off getting married because she wanted to do other things. Yes, Charlotte is, she was unique for her time, and she didn't want to have to go only with the constraints, what what the expectations were for her by society, by her family, by herself, by her professors. They all wanted something for her. And she just completely butted up against that box and wanted to get out of it. And she found that for various reasons, and you'll have to read the book to find out that the Miss Subway's contest was her ticket out. You did a lot of research for this book. What happened in terms of their career paths for these women, the ones that you were able to interview? It was amazing. A lot of them, this became a stepping stone to a career either as an entertainer or a model or a singer. The very first Miss Subway's Mona Freeman in 1941, she became a big Hollywood star. I actually coordinated a reunion a couple days ago for Miss Subway's in New York City. We had about 15 Miss Subway's. The earliest one was Miss Subway's of 1946. And the latest one was the very last Miss Subway's in 1976. And I just got to hear so many stories from them about how this launched their careers. These were everyday New York City girls next door. And to have this opportunity to be seen as special and to get recognition and then have that launch into a career was just something that changed most of their lives. How did you first discover this and decide to write about it? I was actually driving in my car and listening to NPR and a story came on about the Miss Subways contest and I was floored. I found it fascinating. I had worked in advertising, so that was relatable. And just this small slice of New York City history was beyond. And so I went home and I started doing research on the contest and 
everything about it was fascinating to me, especially because it was rooted in this whole concept of female ambition and women seeking their professional and personal dreams and how this contest aided and embedded them with that. And so the more research I did and I ended up interviewing former Miss Subways and hearing about their experiences, I realized that this would be a great foundation for a novel and took it from there. Well, you took it very well. I loved this book. I read it in literally one day. I couldn't put it down. And it's truly summer beach reading at its best and more. So congratulations on all your success. Where can people learn more about you, about the Subway Girls, and how to follow you? So the best place is my website, which is susieschnall.com. And that's S-U-S-I-E-S-C-H-N-A-L-L.com. And that has all of my social media links and links for my books and also my balance project interview series, which you're featured on. And that is where I interview women about work-life balance, but not from the perspective that we should all be trying to achieve this perfect level of work-life balance, but more revealing it for what it is as something that's hard to be perfect at and absolutely no reason why we should try. And you've had some major stars on there, by the way. Do some name dropping. Okay. So uh, Reese Witherspoon has done the interview, Sarah Blakely, who founded Spanx. I have the founders of The Skim. I have women from all walks of life, all different professions. And it's a really, there are 175 interviews posted up there now. And it's a really great way to see how different women are dealing with this challenge of work-life balance. And I know that there's a lot of pushback about why do we ask women about work-life balance, but you know, semantics aside, a lot of women are interested how other women are dealing with it. And so this this interview series gives a way for women to see that everybody's struggling with it. Everybody's making sacrifices and we're, we're not alone in that regard. Well, thank you so much, Susie. This was great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Susie was pretty candid and I appreciate that she was honest about some things we aren't always comfortable talking about in public and saying out loud, like that she just wasn't all that into being a stay-at-home mom that she didn't feel valued. She didn't feel validated until she started making money again. Financial grown-up tip number one, admit that for most of us, many of us at least, money, our paycheck, does make us feel appreciated. There's a great scene in Mad Men where the character of Peggy goes into her boss, Don Draper, and she complains that he never says thank you. And his answer, of course, is, well, that's what the money is for. If that happened today, I would hope that instead of Peggy wanting a thank you, Peggy would ask for a raise. In other words, it is okay for your work to be about the money. Bonus points for fulfillment, of course. Financial grown-up tip number two. Susie talks about not being stressed out because she wasn't the breadwinner. Well, I'm glad she did get the wake-up call from her friend. Twice, I have unexpectedly and temporarily, thankfully, been the primary breadwinner for my family. One time, my ex-husband's job just ended after a merger. Not his fault in any way. Nothing we could have seen ahead of time. Another time, my family was hit by the recession. And while my husband landed very well and pretty quickly, we were both glad that I had some money coming in along with benefits like health insurance. Make the choice that is right for your family. But it's never a bad idea to have two incomes. Even if one is much lower than the other, you'll be glad to have it if something happens. And a lot of the time, at least once in your life, something's going to happen. Family, multiple income streams. If you are not already, please subscribe to the podcast. And while you are there, manually change the settings to automatically download episodes. We put out these episodes three times a week. 
They're about 15 minutes, so you can easily fit one, two, or more episodes into your listening time and make it work for you. Be in touch. DM me your thoughts on the podcast at Bobby Rebel on Twitter, at Bobby Rebel one on Instagram, and Bobby Rebel on Facebook. To learn more about the show and get the show notes with links to everything that we talk about, go to bobbyrebell.com forward slash financial grownup podcast. And thank you to Susie Ormanshnall for helping us all get one step closer to being financial grownups. Financial Grown Up with Bobby Rebell is edited and produced by Steve Stewart and is a BRK Media production.